Today's message is entitled, After the Angels Leave. We love it when the angels are here. But what about life, ordinary life, after the angels leave? Today's text from Luke's Gospel, once again, chapter 2. I'm going to read for us verses 15 through 20. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project these words on the screen for you. And I'll invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's word. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May God inspire us through this powerful story. You may be seated. Now think about it. The resplendent glory, the supernatural phenomenon of these angels. I mean, this angelic choir, physically manifest, audibly present, glory and splendor and majesty on display. I mean, it was pyrotechnics. Uh, the most elaborate Steven Spielberg movie could not come close to this. It must have been amazing. I also think about these kings, these wise men, these magi who have arrived from the, from the east, bringing these extravagant, expensive gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I mean, this is old world bling. This is a, this is a serious... <laughs> Serious manifestation of favor and blessing. I think about the angel that appeared to Mary, reminding her that she would conceive and bear a child, and then also the angel appearing to Joseph and saying, it's okay, marry that girl and take her unto yourself. I think about the supernatural moment when Mary, who's now pregnant with Jesus, meets her kinswoman cousin, Elizabeth. You remember this moment? Elizabeth is pregnant as well, carrying John Baptist. And when the two of them meet... The, the power of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit falls on each one of them, and Elizabeth begins to prophesy. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. It's an, it's an awesome moment. I think about the miracles on the eighth day after the birth of Jesus. They take him to the temple to be circumcised, and there they find two aged saints of God, Anna, this prophetess, and Simeon, a prophet of God. And they notice this child and the power of God, the prophetic word of God comes through them and they say this child will be a light to the Gentiles and the hope of Israel. Simeon said, my, my eyes have seen the Lord's Christ. I can die in peace. It's, a, it's an amazing uh, combination of glory and angel and the supernatural characteristics of the virgin conception, these astronomical signs and visitations and dreams and prophecies and all the rest it is a magnificent and, and splendid manifestation of God's glory. And then it's over. And then it ends. It's great when the angels show up. I mean, it's really great. But at some point or another, the angels leave. Follow me now. The glory of the supernatural, at one point or another, will yield to that which is most frequently common and natural and ordinary in our lives. There's a lot about life, a lot about leadership, a lot about parenting, a lot about work, about relationships, even our own spirituality that tends to feel more natural than it does supernatural. Are you okay with that? 
You okay with that statement? A lot about our lives that seem more natural than supernatural. A lot of life is lived, it seems, without angels rather than with them. As far as I know, I've never seen an angel. As far as I know, I'm suspicious of one occasion when I was in Mumbai, Bombay, India years ago, and a little eight or nine-year-old orphan girl, street girl, followed us around, dogged us all morning until my friend Joe started to step into traffic, looking the wrong way as traffic was passing, and she just simply put her arm up and kept him from harm. And after that, she drifted away from us. I always wonder about her. She may have been an angel in disguise. I've preached uh, many times in my life. You can imagine thousands of sermons, I reckon. And five times in all the years and all the sermons I've preached, five different times, people have come up to me after, after preaching a sermon and said to me that they saw an angel standing behind me when I was preaching. Five times. On two of those occasions, just two of those occasions, separated by many years, the, the witnesses to this phenomenon of an angel standing behind me while I was preaching uh, came with it a description of the angel, th this creature itself. And both of the descriptions were identical, corroborating each other. Now, that's kind of neat, isn't it? Kind of interesting. But of the thousands of times that I've preached, only five times, and then those two times with specificity. Uh, and so what we can say is while good and fun, kind of exciting, interesting, very rare. These moments are rare. I mean, think about the life of Jesus. Here are 12 years between his birth and his, and his circumcision eight days later and his bar mitzvah in Jerusalem at the age of 12. We, we don't know of any part of his story in these 12 years. As far as we know, no prophet visits, no, no kings from the east, no prophecies, nothing unusual out of the ordinary happening in the tw tw first 12 years of his life. And then after his bar mitzvah, all the way to the first miracle he performed, which was turning water into wine, if you'll remember, at the wedding at Cana, 18 years have passed, and so here we have 30 years. I, I can't believe there weren't moments when Mary asked, now where are the angels? I mean, I could use an angel today. I could really use a prophet or, yeah, one of those caravans with kings bearing gold. I could sure use that today. Joseph actually disappears from the story. We're left to speculate. We, we think... We imagine that Joseph perhaps is older than Mary, and he's simply passed on. He's, he's dead. We know that Mary and Joseph had subsequent children together after the birth of Jesus, and so Jesus has these half-siblings, these brothers and sisters, and it could be that Mary is a single parent raising this whole brood of kids. You know, they're all of her, all of her uh, children that she's had with Joseph and then this one special kid named Jesus. <laughs> And she, as a single mother, she's trying to do the best she can with these kids. But you, can you imagine that here she is, there's not enough to eat, and the kids are fussing, and, and it's difficult for her. And you can imagine her wondering, where are the angels now? I could use some help. Three brief points this morning. You may have noticed that the parking lot was relatively empty when you got here this morning. It's because we let out the first service early because the preaching was short. Someone spontaneously applauding down here at the front. That's what may have what you wonder about. Here's the first thought. Appreciate the supernatural moments. 
There's an outline in your bulletin there if you're filling in the blanks. Appreciate the supernatural moments. Appreciate those. Don't despise those moments of supernatural visitation, of this kind of splendor. Receive them for what they are and be grateful. It's good to talk about them and remember them and cherish them. At the end of the book of Exodus, we see Moses sharing stories of God's miraculous power with Joshua, who is the heir apparent to the leadership of the nation. And Moses is sharing these stories of God's miraculous provision. He said, you know, remember I tell you about the miracles in Egypt, how Pharaoh was humbled and Egypt was looted. Let me tell you about the Red Sea crossing and the miracles in the desert of Sinai. And as Moses is rehearsing these miracles with Joshua, you can almost imagine his own faith being bolstered and that of those who were hearing him, especially Joshua as he was about to take the reins. And so tell others about the work of God in your life. It's a good thing. It will encourage your faith. It will encourage the faith of people who hear you. So think about those miracles. Remember them. Cherish them. But don't cling to them as if you can't go another day without them because that will not be helpful to you. Celebrate, cherish, remember, talk about, rehearse, but don't cling to them as if without them you can't go on. Here's my second thought. Appreciate the natural moments in your life. The natural moments. There is much to be said for the common and the ordinary of life. Now listen to me. We live in a world and a culture that is utterly addicted to the spectacular. Addicted to the spectacular. Everybody has to one-up the other person. The show has to be more grand, the display more expensive, the fireworks bigger. Now, obviously, we should try to do things well and with excellence. We should do our best. That's great. But what happens is if we believe that all of life has to be spectacular every time, listen, it will warp. It will warp and corrupt the way you think about everything. It'll corrupt and warp the way you think about church. I'm not going to sit in this church every week because the sermon from time to time gets boring. Really. <laughs> well, let me just remind you, there are parts of life that are just boring. Boring happens. It sure does. Have you, how about the phrase, I hate school, it's so boring. Well, yeah, but Wait. What you need to know is that algebra is not spectacular. It just isn't. And sometimes learning is a process that requires something less than the spectacular. You just got to give diligent application. Listen, you can't live your life from spectacular to spectacular. Any more than you can carve out the 12 years between the birth of Jesus and his bar mitzvah and the 18 years from bar mitzvah to the first miracle Jesus spent 30 years of his natural life, ordinary life, preparing for three years of supernatural life and ministry. 30 years of preparation, three years of actual miraculous ministry. I want to put this statement on the screen. I want, want it to soak in. You've heard me use it before. It's how you live your ordinary days that determine whether you will have special moments. It's how you live your ordinary days that will determine whether you have special moments. If you're a person who just sits around going, well, I'm waiting for something big to happen, something exciting to happen, something really dramatic to happen, I'm, I'm just going to wait till something really, really significant happens. Then I can take my next step. Chances are you'll never be taking the steps, and you'll be waiting a long time. Apply yourself to what's directly in front of you. Let me give you something to think about. 
The most important day of the week is Tuesday. Not Monday, the first day of the work week. Not Wednesday, hump day. <laughs> Not Wednesday. <laughs> Been waiting to use that for a long time. <laughs> It's not the weekend. It's not even the Sabbath. None of those. Let me explain. There are very few angels on Tuesday. Follow me. Everything seems boring. There's no big crisis. And sometimes we can turn everything into a big crisis. Do you know people who turn everything into one big soap opera? They catastrophize everything. You walk up to them, how are you doing today? Oh, God, is the response. Everything has to have some kind of drama or crisis to it. You know, don't you want to say to folks like that, as the world turns, can't you just go one day without drama? It's not Angel Tuesday. It's not Crisis Tuesday. It's not Drama Tuesday. It's just Tuesday. The metaphoric Tuesday I'm describing are the moments and the days in our lives that require steady, faithful, consistent, persistent application of what you know is right to do. It's just Tuesday. And you do the deal. Someone asked Mother Teresa, how do you stay faithful? This is what she said, and I quote, devote one hour to God each day and avoid doing what you know to be wrong. Devote one hour to God each day and avoid doing what you know to be wrong. Any questions? Just there it is. It represents the regular, ordinary day when the angels are not present. The supernatural ministry of Jesus over three years could very well have been fashioned, formed, founded upon a series of Tuesdays. Just applying himself. In those 30 years of Jesus' life in the carpenter shop, there were days when he didn't feel like going to work. You know there had to be. When he cracked his thumb with a hammer, Days that didn't feel miraculous or messianic. He probably sat in a corner one day going, you know, when do the miracles start? This is getting old. This is getting tedious. 30 years. Mary was remembering all these things. The first miracle came after 30 years of routine, getting up, making the bed, cleaning the house, going to school, doing your homework, going to your job, doing it well, spending time in prayer, reading your Bible, attending worship, serving the less fortunate, all on a metaphoric Tuesday when I don't feel like it, I don't have energy, I don't feel passionate, I just messed up again, and I feel all alone. It's in those ordinary moments that you can be at your very best. This is when you can really shine forth as the best person you can be. Now we're to the third point. We only have three. And it's simply this. Be faithful every day and wait for God's timing. Be faithful every day and wait for God's timing. This is true in the routines of life, and it's true in your spiritual worldview. If you think following Jesus is just one big goosebump experience after another, then you will have a warped perspective on the world. Your expectations will be wrong, and you'll be discouraged and disappointed. 
Most of life is simply about leaning forward and putting one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. It's when you don't feel or see the angels that you can be at your best. It's when your favorite song at work becomes, you can take this job and, hmm, I ain't working here no more. I mean, you're humming that tune at work. It becomes your theme song. And yet, in that context, you still work as under the Lord and give it your best. That's when you are at your best, mm -hmm. when it's not easy. You know, it's when I've had a, a little feud with my wife and I have to come to church. You know, you get to come to church all sour and it doesn't affect anybody. When I've got, if I come to church all messed up, it affects everybody. So I, I, I've just had a little squabble with my wife, and I come in here, and I, maybe I've prepared a lousy sermon. You know, I trot out a little dog of a sermon. I'm feeling all inadequate and discouraged. It's, it's in those moments, if I really give it my best effort, that's when I'm at my best. That's when I'm at my best. Because I figure if God can do something with this little dog of a sermon, then maybe he'll send an angel. Never know. I mean, it would, it would enhance the experience, wouldn't it? You know, Pastor, that sermon was lousy, but I did see that angel. Wow. Awesome. Uh-huh. I reason if I can get through the ordinariness of my life, the commonness of my days, then sooner or later, God will encourage me by sending an angel. See, we have in this culture, let me give you an example. We have in this culture a way out of balance emphasis on weddings. Let me get on a soapbox just for a minute. There is a neurotic, even a psychotic, bridezilla phenomenon in our culture right now. It's all about the wedding. Very little emphasis on the marriage. If folks would spend just a small fraction of the amount of time and energy and money preparing for the marriage as they do the wedding, marriages would be much stronger. Just a fraction of it. The amount of time and energy and money that is invested in weddings today is stunning to me. It blows my mind. And I understand the cultural pressure and all the expectations and all that, all that stuff. But let me just remind you of something. Anybody can sit on a beach in the Bahamas on their honeymoon while the waves lap up against your feet. Anybody can do that. In fact, we're all really good at that. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm an, I could become an expert at that before noon. <laughs> let me tell you when the marriage starts. It starts after you get home from your honeymoon and you get up on the first Tuesday and have to go to work. That's when the marriage starts. That's when real life starts, by the way. I had some good advice many years ago from a high school teacher who said, you shouldn't plan a honeymoon that represents a lifestyle much greater than the one that you'll be experiencing in your day-to-day -day life. So celebrate God's presence, but don't sit around waiting for an angel to appear and don't, don't bail out. Don't bail out on a, on a process that God may be providing for you in order for you to be matured and shaped into his image. I want to put this next statement on the screen too, uh, just so it will click with you. We live in a culture 
that is addicted to aborting things. Not only addicted to the spectacular, but we're addicted to abortion. We abort marriages. We abort babies. We abort college. We abort careers. We abort churches. Anytime it gets boring or unspectacular or inconvenient or painful or just doesn't make me happy, then we justify the abortion on those grounds alone. And people also abort the opportunity of God in their lives to grow and mature and develop at the level of their character. Are you listening to me? So many folks give up just before God was going to send an angel. And I've observed this over the many years of my pastoral ministry. So many times people are right on the verge of a breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough, an emotional breakthrough, um, a miraculous moment where God is going to provide means of breakthrough and support and to meet the need. And folks, just before they get there, they give up, they give in, they back up, they compromise, and they abort. And it's so disappointing to me because people, people fail then to find God's very best plan for their life when they, when they resist the timing of God and fail to submit to the work of God in their character and their personhood before the breakthrough comes. Yeah. I was recently inspired by the wife of one of our members who, whose husband recently lost his job. And after I inquired, she said with great faith and hope and peace. She actually was talking to encourage me. I heard about your husband's lost his job. I'm really sorry about that. Are you doing okay? And in order to console me, because she could tell that I was burdened by the circumstance, this is what she said to me. And I quote, Pastor, you know we've been through worse things than this. God is going to see us through. And I went, Man, that's it. Just thought, die. She had no reason to talk like that. Lost the job, no prospects, no suspects. Not sure what's going to happen next. You know, the bills will keep coming in. She said, we've been through some stuff. God's been faithful. We'll get through this. See, it's how you live your ordinary days that will determine whether or not you have special moments. Don't, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't abort. Hang in there. Young man and his new wife serving in the administration of a Christian university in Florida were expecting their first baby. They found out during the pregnancy that the baby had mul multiple physical issues, which would be a tremendous challenge to this young couple. And the doctor sat down and told them all of the bad news. And in the world we live in, advise the couple to have an abortion. The doctor said, there's no need to have this baby and put yourself through this. The baby will require multiple surgeries, will require constant care, and will not live a normal lifespan. I recommend an abortion. Do you know how that young Christian couple responded? They said, we need a new doctor. You're talking about our baby. Hmm. They're raising that little guy. It's been a few years now with all of his complication, his pain, his difficulties. You know what I would like? I'd like for an angel to come into his bedroom some night, like tonight, and make him perfect. But that hasn't happened yet. 
And in the meantime, this young couple are living their lives like it's Tuesday every day. Now, here's what's to be admired. It hasn't changed their faith, their trust in God. It's strengthened their marriage, strengthened their faith, strengthened their resolve. And by their own confession and by those around them, it's enhanced their godly character and tempered their lives into the image of Christ. And what do they do? They just get up every day and they do the deal because that's their lives and that's what they do because that's the right thing to do in God's plan for them. It's coming in for a landing now. In 2014, you may be discouraged. You may be deflated. You may be confused. You may be fearful. Do the right things anyway. Do the right things anyway and wait for God to bring you the breakthrough you need. You don't feel like going to work? Hey, some folks don't have work right now. Do it thankfully. Go and be thankful. Do your job as under the Lord. Do it the best you can. It just means you're at your very best when it's hard and you're still making an effort. That's a good thing. Hey, you don't feel like being a Christian? It's hard being a Christian. There are easier things to be in this culture. In fact, just about anything's easier to be than a Christian. Because as you know, right now in America, everyone's okay except Jesus. He's not okay. Certain, certainly Christians aren't okay. So you don't feel like being a Christian anymore? Look, act like one anyway. Who knows? You might rub off on yourself. Live for Jesus for a whole week in a row. You might inspire yourself. Hey, I think I'll keep going. I'm awesome. Living for Jesus. Just do the deal on Tuesday because the angels don't show up till Wednesday. Do you have an ear to hear it? I hope you do. Stand up with me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone within the sound of my voice. I pray that you would bless us with supernatural moments. Bless us with glory and splendor and angels and wonder. God, let your miracles flow because it's so great. It's so wonderful when you are present and the angels are singing. So bless us in that way. But Lord... Above all things, when there are no angels or splendor or wonder, then bless us with resolve and courage and faithfulness. Take us away from being addicted to the spectacular and hand us over to the dignity of doing our work and investing our lives in an honorable way to the glory of God. Thanks for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. And the people said...